Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. And there it is, folks. The Villanova Wildcats are your 2018 NCAA College Basketball National Champions with a big 79-62 win over the Michigan Wolverines. Gus, I don't know how to feel right now. I'm exhausted. Uh, this is it. It's, it's, it's sort of a mixed feeling for me. Uh, how do you feel right now? I feel simultaneously excited and depressed. I feel excited that we just experienced a very karma-correct tournament, but I'm also depressed because the sport that we love is over for over 200 days, and we are going to be in waiting and longing for any college basketball activity for over 200 days. But... Listeners, welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast. We tell you our emotions the day after National Championship Monday, and I think that's why you've tuned into the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast and carving out some time. We appreciate it. Thank you for spending your post-mortem college basketball season and starting it with us. It was a great game. Villanova took over. They pulled ahead. We both like Villanova given the points, and we did. Mm-hmm. One shining moment. Never lets us down. A small criticism, though. I love Ooh, that. Oh, I, okay, I want to hear yeah, this. Yeah, this has been building for a while. I may have mentioned this last year. Guys, the most exciting parts of the tournament were seen at a regular television angle. I want to see Pools 3 the way I saw it when he shot it. I want to see Ingram's three when they beat Miami in the first round the way it was shot. I don't want a different look. If you want to show a different look in addition to the look I saw, that's fine. But I don't like when they take these iconic shots with the exception of the Grayson Allen one because Mm. you needed to see how the ball actually rolled in and out. But I don't want to see the floor view of Ingram. I want to see the regular in the flow shot. That's my only small criticism about one shining moment, but always brings a tear to my eye. Uh, fair. It's a gluttony of technology. That's what that's a victim yeah, of. Yeah, right? very true. Gluttony of technology. Very yeah, true. like they have all these angles and they probably didn't even show any of them. And they're like, oh, let's cut that one and bring it to one shining moment. So I guess if you're going to get critical of anything, maybe not have 28 cameras at the game and just right, you yeah. know, st- stick with your, your, your base three cameras. Uh, baseline, baseline, and uh, you know, sideline. I think that'd be fine. But it was a great one, Gus. It was a great one for the listeners and all of us. An incredible tournament. We really were on to a lot of the stuff that happened in this tournament, but we'll get to sort of a review of the entire NCAA tournament a little bit. We're going to go over the main game here, folks, and do the NCAA tournament. Then we'll talk about the AP All-Americans, what they were preseason versus what they were, and they ended up being at the end. And then Gus is going to give you his little uh, 2018-2019 preview of his top 10. All right, so let's take a look at it, partner. 79-62, Villanova, Michigan. Start of the game, Michigan got out early. 
but I, I, I never really bought it. I, I felt like they eventually Villanova was going to make the run, and they did. They were up at half, 37-28. Man, what did you see in that first half of the game last night? Uh, Michigan up early, then Villanova sort of took over late in the first half. So I, I think there were two things there. Number one, I, I think Michigan gave all the casual viewers hope, and I, th- I felt like they provided – you know, some sort of urgency that Villanova might have needed and didn't come out onto the floor with from minute one or minute 20, whichever way you want to look at the half. And I I feel like that Michigan just got too many straight line drives. And I think after the first TV timeout, I'm sure Coach Wright and the coaching staff was like, "Uh, guys, it's not like they're devising the most unstoppable offense ever. Like it, there was a couple of Wagner uh, straight line drives, uh, you know, a couple open threes. It wasn't like they were doing anything that was like so magical or so, I, I don't know, next next level thought process or offensive wise. So I felt like that it was a very correctable, I felt it was very correctable for Villanova on the defensive end. And I don't think it was very sustainable on the offensive end for Michigan because all Villanova had to do was just do what they've done all year and just, you know, switch, defend. And, and once they started getting their switches and defendants in order, I mean, I think we saw in a hurry, like, you know, Wagner came out with like nine points. He ended up with 16. Like they, they corrected that properly, but also a little quicker than you thought they might. Yeah, they did. Wagner was hot early. And the way that Michigan was going to stay in this game is I know that their defense has been very strong, but you knew Villanova mm-hmm. was going to put up points. You didn't right. know uh, You didn't know my guy, by the way, Dante DiVincenzo. We'll get to him in a little bit, okay? I mean, Great seriously, call. okay? Great call. We didn't know he was going to go off and go bananas for 31. But they had to have more balanced scoring. It was very Wagner early. Uh, Abdul Rahman did some things. But Matthews was way too passive. He's the guy who had to be more aggressive. Michigan, Gus, only shot 3 of 23 from three-point range in this game. Villanova's, You're not going to championship game like that. No. Nope, that's the thing. And Villanova's excellent defending the three, 15th in the country as per Ken Palm. On the Villanova side, you know, their three-point shooting, Michigan did do a nice job of holding them down. DiVincenzo was 5 of 7, but if you take him away, Gus, they're only 5 of 20. Very, very pedestrian, very ordinary. Yeah, they hit a lot of threes late that kind of made it seem, you know, Pascal hit one, I think, starts second half, and Bridges had a couple late. But that first half, 37-28, the game got away from them and it couldn't, and then they came out in the second half, man, they just continued to roll. I have a question for you. Did you feel like Brunson shot in the two-for-one situation there? Do you feel like that really was – do you feel like that was a a difference-making shot and really – gave Villanova something going into the locker room with? Do you think they needed that? Or do you think they had that vibe prior to that shot? No, I think it was big because Michigan had done an excellent job. Beeline and Yaklich had done an excellent job on scouting Brunson. I put it out on mm-hmm. Twitter. We've talked about it. Brunson is a superior player. He's the national player of the year, and he should be. He can make threes. He runs the offense. He posts up. I get it. But he is extremely left-handed dependent. He will drive right to cross back over or drive right to finish with his left hand. He's Mm -hmm. not driving right baseline and finishing with his right hand as a right-handed player who can go both ways usually finishes with his left on his left side. He always brings it back to his left. I felt like they actually made a, a, a purposeful effort to defend that the right way on the screen and rolls at the top of the key. They weren't hedging when he would go uh, right, but they were hedging when he would go left. I thought it was a brilliant game plan, but at the end of that game, Brunson doing – at the end of the half, Brunson doing that changed the flow of the game because you're like, geez, we held him down. We did everything we could, 
but he still at the end sort of took over there. That's a, a big mental killer. 37-28 Gus at the half was too much of a deficit. It had to be two or four. I, I agree. I think it had to be low single digits and it, it got away from them a little bit. And also, like, kudos to Xavier Simpson. Is it, like, he, he – I mean, I, I, I think we, we talked about this on the prior podcast. We said that, like, that matchup was going to be a little bit tighter than you thought it was going to be because Simpson is very gifted and, and really hard-nosed on the defensive end. And he wasn't going to give Brunson an inch. And obviously he was well-schooled by the coaching staff on, on what, what the tendencies are and what his preferences are. Uh, so obviously that was in play there. And because he shot, what, like four for 13, he wasn't very efficient, didn't even reach double digits in points. So th- you felt like they had a little bit of a handle there. And look, if you're Michigan and you're going to hold the player of the year, the national player of the year down to single digits, you know, on paper, you should have a shot. Like that's the blueprint of like how you're going to hang around and maybe pull the upset against Villanova. But it turned out to be something completely different uh, thanks to the other cast members uh, and the other, t- uh, you, the, you know, people off the bench, like your guy, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, uh, for Villanova. Gus, I said it all year. I feel justified. When we do the review shows, you know this is going to be front and center. Yeah, yes, yes. The, the, and, it should, and it should be because kid, you have championed him all season. He is an NBA player. I thought he was a first-round NBA draft pick before this game. He is big. He is not super thin. He has a superb handle. He uses both hands. He makes a ton of threes. He can shoot it from deep. And he defends. And he rebounds. He is an NBA player. Dante DiVincenzo is significantly better in terms of being ready for the pros than J.J. Redick was. J.J. Redick was Mm -hmm. superior coming off screens. Deadly shooter. This kid is just as big as Redick. Maybe a hair below as a shooter, massively better handle, massively better defender, much better rebounder. Folks, get used to it. Whether it's Minnesota, the Knicks, Boston, Sacramento, the lights are going to go off in an NBA franchise at the beginning of a game, and Dante DiVincenzo is going to be a starter for a long period of time. He really came out to play in this game, Gus. So just to put in... I don't know, to try to frame his game and put it uh, juxtaposed to some of the other great like Final Four-ish type games. He scored 30-plus points, shot over 66% from the field, had five made threes. And do you know the only other people to score 30 points and shoot over 66% from the field in the Final Four are? It's Bill Walton and Kareem. Oh my gosh! Oh my, illustrious He's company. He's with Bill Walton and Kareem. So, Dee Vincenzo should start talking about Aardvarks now, basically, right? <laughs> How good was that? Was that fantastic or what? You know, if you're beeline man and you're looking back at this box score, it's got to drive you crazy. It has to. Totally has. Pascal to. six, Spellman eight, Brunson nine, Booth two. Bridges yeah. had 19, but he had a lot late. It's DiVincenzo. And Beeline said it in the postgame with, with Tracy Wolfson. That's the guy they didn't have an answer for. They did a decent job defensively. They held him a 47% from the field. You take a DiVincenzo's numbers out, they're 17 of 42. That's very, very good. The threes I told you about, Villanova makes their free throws. Michigan wasn't making them as much, only 11 of 18. I think Michigan did a great job. I just think the way, Gus, you're going to beat Villanova is you have to be killing them on the boards and you have to be able to have a strong inside game. Wagner did what he could, but he's not a true back to the basket big. Uh, I'll just add a little bit to your script of like how, like what's the scripted to beat Villanova. Um, I think we just reflect back upon, you know, the biggie season 
and you need a stud. You need like a Shamori Pons. You need a Keelan Martin yes, from Butler. Yes, yes. Okay, so you need that guy to go off and do his thing and be borderline unguardable. Then you need to be athletic at the rest of the positions to match up with them athletically because they have like, I don't know, NBA-ish talent at pretty much every stop that you're going to have on the floor, whether it be Booth or Brunson or Spellman or Bridges or DiVincenzo, like whoever they're going to, th- like, you know, most of the starting five that they're going to put out there that like the, it's NBA-ish or like pro overseas talent. So you need to have athleticism to match up with them on the perimeter. And then, yeah, you need to do a great job on the boards and keep them off the offensive boards. Look, it's a long checklist of things to take care of if you're going to defeat Villanova. But those are the things that you have to do. And that's what happened in the Big East season. And, and, And just to put in perspective, since we're talking Big East a little bit, keep in mind, Villanova wasn't even the regular season Big That's East champion. That's Xavier correct. actually garnered their first Big East regular season championship this season. So th- that puts us even to, into further perspective. And then one more thing on like how Villanova kind of ran through this tournament. They won every game in this tournament by double digits. Yep. The, other t- the other teams that like have done that recently, Michigan 2000, Duke 2001, and UNC 2009. Those three other teams ran through the tournament, won their title, and won all their games by double digits. So Villanova joins that illustrious list of those champions. And rightly so, because they just absolutely smoked Michigan in the second half of this game. Yeah, if you look back on their season, they ended up 36-4 and if you include the tournament. End of the regular season, they were 30-4. and They started off on fire. They were great. They ended up winning the tournament down the battle for Atlantis. They went on a roll. They pounded Gonzaga 88-72. The game's in Madison Square Garden, though. We didn't look too right. much into that. They did lose at Butler 101-93. That was a game Butler shot over, what, 50% from three-point range? Something like yep. that. Just a three-point barrage. It was incredible. Uh, they made 15 threes in that game, but they hung in, which was impressive. Then they go on another run. Then they lose to Shamori Pons. You said that again in St. John 79-75. Then they beat Butler. Then they lose at Providence. So that was their now- skid there. Keep in mind, guess who? Guess who wasn't? Uh, guess who wasn't fully healthy for that run of games? DiVincenzo. Yeah, DiVincenzo wasn't healthy. That's right. Yeah, Booth was hurt a little bit earlier in the year. Yep. I think he came back. That's exactly right. Big difference. And they went to Creighton, lost in overtime. The game away. Creighton's always a tough place to play, and that was sort of their run. They have to lose in at, in overtime to Creighton. They won in overtime against Seton Hall at Seton Hall, right? And then they beat Georgetown, Marquette, Butler overtime against Providence, and they went in. And then yeah. they went on a roll. That's right. They smoked Radford, Alabama. They killed. They were up early. West Virginia hung around, gave them a, a fighting, a good game there. But in the end, they succumbed. See, a Texas Tech fought hard, got it down to five in the second half. But the issue was the foul trouble in the first half. And they're a good free throw shooting team. Yep. Kansas did the best that they could, but they were on fire. And then Wagner hung around. Really, Gus, the best team won this year. The right team won. They were the best team from start to finish. They were projected to be a top team. Jalen Brunson was projected to be a preseason All-American. Virginia was not. Virginia got hot in the middle of the year, but they weren't from start to finish. From start to finish, it was Villanova, and they got those paper champions of Kentucky and Duke the heck out of the way. Top to bottom, two titles now, Gus, in the last three years. Unbelievable. You can argue that they are the best college program over the past five years. Can. You can you can make that argument for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And one last thing on Villanova, and I guess we can move on. Uh, you know, on the podcast pr- previously, and you know, other places, of course, they've talked about like the red shirt year, and we've t- we've championed like how Gonzaga has like this beautiful recipe of uh, uh, using their red shirt year to really forward 
their players and, and advance like their their player skill sets and, and get them ready for the next level or to be impactful players when they return from their redshirt season. Villanova does the exact same thing. Yep. I mean, if you look at their roster, their roster is filled with guys that have taken redshirt uh, seasons and have come back and been unbelievable players. Uh, uh, on both ends, on the defensive end and on the offensive end, and their game has just grown exponentially during that redshirt season. So I, I think they might have the special sauce too and the special recipe. Uh, you know, maybe uh, Coach Wright and Coach View, uh, you know, chatted and, and they shared some secrets on what to do with that redshirt season. Yeah, and and listen, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna keep it real here on the screen, the screener podcast as I always do. I'm the one who put the tweet out about Kevin Knox and Mike Tyson laughing at him declaring. I mean, it's just the people saying he's a lottery pick, just ridiculous thing. But I'm gonna be fair here. DiVincenzo yeah. Gus should go. He should go. And here's why. When I busted on the, you know, all the players who leave early and I talk about them and Kevin mm. Knox and, and and last year Jonathan Isaac, the whole thing. Yep. I don't see them stepping onto a floor. I, I, like Jonathan Isaac, was he back to the basket player? Is he a Euro wing? But he can't shoot threes, but he can develop. So he's going to sit on the bench. He's going to, you know, it, it, Kevin Knox, is he a weeble? Can he make shots? Is he going to come in? I see Dante DiVincenzo playing significant minutes as a guard next year in the NBA. He can dribble. He can shoot. He's big. He can rebound. That's what I mean. I am not going to say he should stay. He is only a sophomore, but I see him as NBA ready. That is not to say that someone who has a different financial circumstance should not Mm -hmm. declare. I'm saying I think whoever gets him next year, the kid's on the floor for at least 10 minutes. I think he can be that good. And if I can only see him sitting two or three minutes, I tell him to stay another year, you know, junior year. But he, after you score 31 points against Michigan and Beeline, and when the most outstanding player and you show off the whole repertoire, it's tough for me to come back after that one. I think he, I think he at least has to explore. Uh, you know, maybe he says, "I'm going to uh, test the waters," as as like one of the favorite NBA phrases for the draft is "test the waters" and then not hire the agent and at least get information. And it seems like Villanova does a good job with that information too. That's like one of the schools that actually like helps their players like make a good decision. So I bet that will be. I bet that's a script that he's going to follow. I don't think that he's just going to like totally like flip the script and be like, yeah, I'm hiring an agent and I'm out. I, I don't think that that's like the Villanova way, but I th- I could see him exploring. Yeah, and one quick, one last story, then we'll go to the tournament. So when I was doing my high school coaching and I was going to all these camps, I ended up going down to a camp at Ryder. And it was a long, it was many, many years ago and Jay Wright was there. So what happens mm. at these camps, folks, is, you know, you bring your teams down or whatever, you work the camp and then there's a coach's social later in the night. Maybe it's in, you know, rec room or something like that. Or maybe you play some ball, counselors play ball together and you get some beverages. And Jay Wright was there. Okay. Jay Wright is real. Jay Wright is a gentleman. Jay Wright is someone that you or I or anybody, my mother, my daughter could sit next to and talk to and they'd have something to say to the guy. That's what it is. I wasn't as impressed with him when he would do his clinics because he didn't give you a lot of X's and O's. Obviously, he knows X's and O's, but what he has, which is more important than anything, is he relates to his players. They like Mm -hmm. him, and he's a great communicator. And no matter what your job is, you must be able to communicate with people. Obviously, he can X and O with anybody. He's built a program there. There were tweets being retweeted about 2010. He's got to be fired because he'll never win a title with this guy. My, how times change. He's sitting in the catbird seat right now. That's for sure. And I bet there's going to be a couple of other caveats that come his way. 
due to the results in this national championship game, uh, whether it be with USA Basketball or, or, or other venues that I think that will just, I, I think it'll just gleam nicely and, and shine brightly on Villanova and Coach Wright, without a doubt. Well, partner, it was a fantastic tournament here. Just some of the highlights, and then we'll go region by region, get your top-of-the-head reaction. Yeah. Of, of course, this will always be remembered as the year of 16-1, B to one, Maryland, Baltimore uh, County. That team that needed Jarris Lyles to wave off his coach, and uh, Odom hit a three from the top of the key against Vermont to beat Vermont and ma- get the automatic bid, came in and beat, beat Virginia 16-1 B to one there for the first time. Uh, final four was 2 1 to 3 and 11. Loyola Chicago became the fourth number of Final Four. That was LSU in 86, Mason in 06, and BCU in 2011. Mm-hmm. Two number twos lost to seven seeds. UNC went down to Texas A&M, just massively intriguing. Cincinnati with that massive, legendary comeback by Nevada, which will stay in our heads forever, also went out in that second round. All four uh, number four seeds lost by the second round. Two went out in the first round and two went out in the second round. Yep. No number fives lost to number 12s. That was shocking. Sure enough, Gus, the playing game gets hot again, and it was Syracuse. They made the Sweet 16. Unbelievable. <laughs> happens, happens every, every year. year. You got a 50 every year. Just pick the right one. And I think that game was again on Wednesday. I think that was the yeah. Wednesday game, right? Yeah, you nailed that one. You said that usually the Wednesday Seven out game. Of eight. Yeah. 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 And then the number 13 seeds were great. Two number 13 seeds beat those fours in the, in the first round, and then two of them uh, put up good fights and lost in the second round. So that was that, that's the summary, man. What a crazy tournament. Uh, just a couple of highlights for me. Love that Marshall played Wichita State uh, and actually like you know put some distance on them. That was kind of one of the more shocking results uh, in the first round and one of the maybe not-so-trendy upsets that everybody had. I think the, the, the Florida-St. Bonaventure, uh, matchup was also really intriguing and then you felt like uh, Bonnie's might have been a little bit more live there but Florida really outclassed them the other part that I thought was going to be a little blow up but it stick to chalk was the Clemson and Auburn section of that bracket I felt like both New Mexico State and Charleston both had chances to win those games but that was not the case Clemson actually went all the way and gave Kansas a run for their money and then uh of course, the Houston-Michigan game was an absolute classic, one that is going to be remembered for the shot, but then also the reaction of teams after the shot. Uh, I mean, that that one is an absolute – that might be one. That might be the most iconic game uh, of the tournament or maybe the most iconic shot. I mean, I guess you can throw in uh, Loyal Chicago's, like, multitude of shots as well. Uh, and then you mentioned the, you know, huge 22-point comeback in the second half by – uh, the the Nevada Wolfpack and and that is also one of the there there's I mean if you're gonna hang your hat on we just mentioned like I don't know like seven awesome incredible beautiful moments of this tournament and this tournament did not disappoint again and you know like we started the conversation with this tournament we started this season in a fog of uncertainty and and finger pointing whether it be with the FBI or other th- or, or, or other items that were off the court and somehow. This tournament had a way of weaving a beautiful story and then sifting through all of that static and then giving us two teams that and two coaches and two programs uh, who everybody that you talk to and every place that you hear, the word that gets associated with them is clean. The term that gets associated with them is the right way. The team, another like uh, characteristic get, that gets thrown around with both of these teams is culture, and it's just rewarding that our sport was able to frame these two teams and give us a championship game with with obviously the best team in the tournament, but then also uh, a team that 
you know, remained unranked for a part of the season and was out of many preseason top 25s and then found their way and got hot at the right time. So I'm thankful that the tournament was able to to clean up our sport from the fog that it entered into preseason and early on in the season. So thank you, March Madness. Thank you for giving us exactly what we wanted. You know, if you go region by region, partner, you know, I'm just going to go by what I thought would happen, and then you can chime in what you thought would happen versus what actually did occur. Yeah, sure. I'm going to be wrong here a lot, by the way. Yeah, well, me too. I'm not even going to go to Maryland-Baltimore County. I I did think a 16 would be to one. I feel like that's a tenth of a win there, but I did not think it would be Maryland-Baltimore County over Virginia, although I did say that Virginia was not going anywhere with DeAndre Hunter, who is their best (laughs) NBA prospect since Malcolm Brogdon. So if you look at that first round there, Kansas State-Creighton, uh, you know, we we bought into the Foster redo game. So did I. I actually liked Kansas State. I just bought into the fact that Foster was going to go nuts. Kentucky Davidson, I feel I nailed. Knew exactly what was going to happen. There was going to be close, but Kentucky defending the three was too much. Buffalo, Arizona, very frustrating. Maybe it adds up in a way. Arizona, the karma, all three guys saying they're going to the draft before the tournament starts. And here comes a little pesky Buffalo. Maybe yep. should have thought of that. Loyola Chicago, I nailed. Tennessee was fine with that over Wright State. Nevada, Texas was a coin flip. I knew it was a close game. And I'll tell you something I learned, man. I am not going to worry about teams fouling anymore, whether it's Villanova or whether it's Duke or whether it's Nevada. They find a way to get through. That game was super close. We watched the end together. Yep. Texas had it and Nevada just stole it right from them. But they have that sort of ability to do that. And then Cincinnati there in that, in that first round. What do you think of those first round games in that in the South region? So I think what we can say about the, like pretty much all of those, not not every single one, but it took a dude or an unbelievable performance, right? So Cincinnati was going to do its thing. There's nothing crazy there. Uh, Nevada needed a crazy performance from from uh, Cody. They got it. Tennessee has a dude. Grant Williams and, and, and Schofield did their thing. Uh, Loyal Chicago needed the shot. They needed that iconic shot. Buffalo and Arizona, like those guys, like you mentioned, they had, they had, they, they were checked out. They're, one foot was out the door with them. And then Kentucky and Davidson, like that, that was a beautiful first round game. And then uh, Kansas State Brown was the dude. And then UMBC, of course, we mentioned Lyle. He was the guy. So, I mean, in that first round there, like, I think it was very definitive. You needed a dude or you needed a shot. Second round there, I, uh, Kansas State beat Virginia. I liked whoever won that game beating Virginia because of uh, Hunter. Unfortunately, it was the wrong one for me. Kentucky right. moving on, I thought it was going to be Arizona. Had them going very far. I did stare at Loyola Chicago, Tennessee for a real long period of time, but I put Tennessee there. And then Nevada with the gritty win over Cincinnati. I actually liked Cincinnati. I think I had Cincinnati moving on there. I didn't have Texas, but then losing the next game. And then, of course, the final two. I liked Arizona going all the way through. That was the killer to me. And I, I had Tennessee actually winning this bracket because I didn't like Cincinnati. I didn't like everybody scores 10 points. Works for Loyola Chicago. It just doesn't work for Cincinnati. Right. And um, you know what? You had to identify the blow-up bracket. The South, again, gave us the blow-up bracket. This is where absolute madness uh, took over. And, and and if you look at, like, you know, who was the – you know, going to the Sweet 16, you had a 7 seed, an 11 seed, a 5 seed, and the 9 seed. And then you had the 16 seed, like, playing to get there, which was crazy. So if you – every year there's going to be a blow-up bracket, and the South uh, filled that role for us this year. 
Go down to the West there. Never believed in Xavier. Obviously had the Texas Southern game wrong, but never right. thought never thought they had the schematic going through with with uh, JP McCura being their second score and Cantor being the only other guy who was close to double digits. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga liked him going through. I still think they beat Florida State if Tilly doesn't get injured, but that's the way things go. On the bottom there, Houston liked that one. Michigan liked that one. Had Michigan going through. Texas A&M, so frustrating because they're so talented, but went with the mojo of Providence getting hot at the end of the year there over Texas A&M. That was wrong. And the shocker to me was North Carolina losing to Texas A&M. Never in a million years would I have thought that. We know that North Carolina has trouble with athletic bigs, uh, but I never thought that would happen. And the one man in the West that really bothers me that will just kick myself, I never liked the Michael Porter Jr. hype Yet I picked Missouri, and I right. picked Missouri to win two games. I never, I should have picked Florida State. Everyone liked the kid, and maybe the kid will be good. I have no idea. But I haven't seen enough of him to make a decision one way or another. People are talking about him coming back like it's Jordan coming back off the retirement. So that's the only thing there. And in the end, Michigan went ahead. I had North Carolina beating them, and they made the Final Four. I think uh, this particular bracket also had like a injury – as part of the equation with uh, the Tilly injury Tilly's to Gonzaga. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, similar to, to UVA with Hunter. Um, and plus, they didn't have a ton of time to prep for that. Not making excuses, just giving reasons. Um, and, yeah, sometimes sometimes you're going to have a team like Florida State that makes that run. And, you know, it's funny. We were talking with Dr. Tony uh, uh, prior to the tournament, and he's like, you know what, guys? There's going to be one of those teams that ends up in the Sweet 16 or the Elite 8 that nobody is going to pick. And you know what one of the teams he mentioned was? He goes, you know, some, somebody like Texas, Texas A&M. And I'm like, boom, there, there, there it is. Dr. Tony nailing the Texas A&M to the Sweet 16 and, uh, you know, mentioning Florida State. I don't know if he filled that out in his bracket, but he did bring up that point. He goes, every year it happens, and this is the bracket that it happened in this year. What drives me nuts is – you have to try to, you know, some of the stuff you could see. I could see Xavier, you were on the Vada bandwagon. We both like Gonzaga, and if Gonzaga doesn't get hot, maybe they make an even deeper run. We liked Houston over San Diego State, etc. The one is that bothers me at Texas A&M. They, yeah. I was sitting there with a gin martini at Tiffany's there out in New Jersey, watched the games. They had not scored when you arrived with Dr. Tony with 14 minutes left. They had not scored a basket. Literally, it's like they flipped the switch midway through the first half of the game. Nothing they did leading up to that game gave that except for the fact of, hey, you know, they were good at the beginning of the year. They'll get it together. That's the only Uh, thing you could have said. And then they end with a windmill dunk and move on. Yeah, there's that. (laughs) Robert Williams. Here we go. Over to the Midwest. It's funny. Never in a million years, Gus, would I have thought Kansas – when they've struggled in the tournament, the year yeah. they struggle in the regular season. Now, they did the, mm-hmm. win the, the 14th straight regular season title, and they did win the Big 12 tournament. But, you know, we had Azabuki who was injured, right? So they got those. They're very streaky. Graham was up and down with his points. Never in a million years would I thought they would have went this far. Seton Hall beating NC State was a middle finger to me. That's fine. <laughs> That, that was funny. And then they actually played Kansas really tight. They did because it's all I'll, – I'll say this next year, folks. You, you come, we come back next year. We do, the, we do the picks. It's all about the matchups. It doesn't matter if they've been playing poorly or not. It's irrelevant. It means nothing. It's the matchups. If you have good matchups and you're playing well, that's great. But if you have good matchups and you've been playing poorly, you can absolutely light the fire. Probably Syracuse getting hot didn't surprise me. I thought it was going to be the other way around with St. Bonaventure, but that didn't really surprise me. 
Michigan State losing to Syracuse is bizarre. Maybe the karma there. Rhode Island, Duke, we had that nail. Duke moving on as well. Probably right. one of the most underrated things to me, Gus, in this entire tournament is in that pot of four there in San Diego in the Midwest. Five mm-hmm. seed Clemson versus 12 seed New Mexico State. Four yep. seed Auburn versus 13 seed Charleston. I am as shocked as anything besides Maryland, Baltimore County that one of those two underdogs did not win. That was something I- that really surprised me. I'm totally with you because I like both of those underdogs so to move I. on. Yep. Yeah, uh, and I totally, you know, gaffed on that one. That was terrible. Um, you know what? Yeah, I think the 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 part with Arizona, I think the part with Michigan State. Um, you know, maybe we can throw a couple other teams into that mix as well. Like, yeah, this tournament has a way of getting the karma right. And is it right that Syracuse was the recipient of like some of that uh, karma recorrection? Maybe not, but. Uh, it's fun that we had an 11 seed uh, get get in and and play Duke to get to the uh, you know elite eight. That's that's really cool. I'm down with that. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I totally gaffed on the on, on the Clemson, New Mexico State, Auburn, Charleston like pod right there. Absolutely got it completely wrong. I talked about picking Clemson about three weeks before the T.O. Norman even started, no matter who they played. And I do think one of the karma teams this year was New Mexico State. They yeah. were one of those teams that had the mojo. You talked all year about Jamario Jones. So they definitely were a team that was live. Both those games were close. Don't get me wrong, but I'm surprised that no one lost there. Duke plays Kansas. And I'll tell you this, partner. The mojo's right. Loyola, Chicago, great team. Was hurt. Got healthy. Michigan on fire. Great karma. Villanova, best team start to finish. Karma. And Kansas overcoming adversity in the year that no one thought they would win it. So I feel Mm -hmm. like the karma held true here. You know, there's no... There's no team making the final four there that, you know, like Arizona with all the negative stuff that went on. There's no, you know, there's nothing, to, you know, Cincinnati who faltered in the in the second half. There's nothing that happened that really you'd be like, well, that made no sense that they made it there. Like if Texas A&M made the final four, I'd be like, all right, well, forget it. I mean, that's irrelevant. That makes no sense. But right. karma held out. And think of all the conversation points and all the stories that were uh, talked about during the lead up to the final four. Like there wasn't one bit of negativity anywhere. Yep. Like everybody was lauding uh, Coach Beeline of what a genius he is, and rightly so. Guy's absolutely amazing. Everybody was absolutely in love and had you know had their you know tournament crush on Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean, and rightly so. Everybody championed Kansas and said like, oh, everybody thought this this wasn't going to be the year they overcame the Azubuki uh, uh, roster uncertainty and injury in the early rounds and got to the Final Four. Uh, you know, Bill Self, you know, justifying his admittance into the the basketball hall of fame and then Villanova just being the monster and the machine that it is and just crushing people along the way. And, you know, like absolutely dismantling like fellow, uh, you know, NBA first rounders like Colin Sexton uh, and, and Keenan Evans as they get to the final four into a national championship. And the last bracket is the East partner. And I think this is the only reason I was able, now neither one of us did very well in the picks. Let's be, let's keep it real here on the podcast, but it's the only way that I did squeak out a small victory over you in the bracket was I think because of this one. And by the way, let's congratulate Shyam Shrivenson, our longtime listener. 
Cheyenne won the bracket challenge by one, one point over Oblivious Steve. Great job, Cheyenne. Congratulations on the challenge. We will get you something sent out to you shortly. We'll, we'll contact you on Twitter. But but Boogs, was it Boogs78? Is his Twitter handle? What's his 78? I, I forget the number. Something but like I, that. He's just so kind, so generous. Like Again, one of the original listeners. So excited that he took down the title for the Screen to Screener College Basketball Tournament Challenge. Well done, Boogs. And this and this East bracket, well, I had it read the whole way. Villanova, West Virginia, love Texas Tech and Purdue. Now listen, I'm not going to kill painter he had injuries there when you have injuries everything changes he loses Isaac Haas I can't be negative about it I did have my doubts and I like Texas Tech moving on as it turned out Keenan Evans had a broken toe so it is what it is I thought they were a good matchup for Villanova I said it to a lot of Villanova fans that I know that's the game Villanova was losing if they did not lose that game they were not losing again it was right on the money so I did have Texas Tech making it there but I felt like I was on this bracket pretty much the Wichita State divorce was timely for me uh, you know, Arkansas. That, 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 that worked out swimmingly, especially with uh, the way Marshall played in that first round. Yeah, Butler was a pain in the ass to Purdue with the Haas injury, of course. Florida did a nice job for you there, kept it close, and then lost a close one to Texas Tech. But outside of that, yeah, this one I think we pretty much had nailed. Uh, I think you had it nailed more than I did because I, I predicted – I stuck with my preseason pick of Purdue getting to the Final Four here, and I kind of wrote that out, crossing my fingers. But once the Haas injury took place, you knew that that was like – kind of a pipe dream and maybe something that wasn't going to be totally realistic. But I'll tell you what, your call on Texas Tech, if Keenan Evans is not playing with a toe injury here, we are talking about a complete different tournament. And maybe, maybe we're not, we didn't, we don't spend 20 minutes talking about Villanova. Just throwing that out there. It's, it's possible that toe injury was a big difference but the way Villanova was playing, Evans, I don't think the toe injury hurt Evans on on defense a lot. I think it hurt him on offense, and they just could not. We can't have Zach Smith and Zaire Smith getting fouls on jump shots. We just we just can't do that, Gus. We yeah, can't, that, you, that, that too. You right. can't give Villanova 19 free throws in the first half. So as much as Keen Evans is great, and I'd love to say it, if they didn't play a whole new defensive strategy and start moving their feet and stop playing lazy defense, it wasn't going to happen. But fantastic tournament partner. Loved it. It was great across the board. Never disappoints. It's the greatest sport, great sporting event that we have in this country, and it certainly was fantastic. And the, the I guess the, the way that the this particular event like lays out, number one, it's over three weeks. It's just not like one day like the Super Bowl. Uh, number two... It's single elimination, so there, there's that urgency to every single competition that you could tune into that anybody sees and could end at any time. And then there's always that lovable story that you can latch on to as a casual fan and say, like, oh, my goodness, I am so pulling for this team. I'm so pulling for this player. I'm so pulling for this coach. And luckily this year we had Loyola Chicago ride it all the way to the Final Four and ride, have those good vibes just like encapsulate everybody's brain and really get some casual fans to buy in and say like, Hey, I'm going to pay attention to this loyal Chicago team because I know nothing about them. I want to tune in and learn about them. And then boom, you see sister Jean and you see coach Moser and you see, uh, uh, they're really skilled point guard, the, the conference player of the year, Custer. And then boom, you're like, okay, this is great. Um, so yeah, the tournament never disappoints and I'm so happy that it didn't disappoint again this year and just treated us exactly the way that we were hoping. All right, let's take a look at some of the AP players of the year. I'm going to compare oh, right, them. Right, right, yeah, I'll yeah. compare them to the preseason ones versus what they have now, what they ended up being. Fascinating to look back on this stuff. Gus, the preseason first team, AP All American team. 
Okay. Miles Bridges, Bonzi Colson, Alonzo Trier, Jalen Brunson, Michael Porter Jr. So here are my thoughts. <laughs> Miles Bridges, I am a Miles Bridges fan. I still like him in the NBA. I feel he is such a 10 to 15 pick in the lottery. It's not even funny. But he did disappoint me. He did not get better, Gus. He did not create more one-on-one opportunities. His dribbling wasn't any better. Very disappointed with him. He was he was the pick, and I loved him every minute of it. Bonzi Colson, he got injured totally. Who knows? Probably would have been first team if he doesn't get injured. Alonzo Trier. There's just bad mojo out in Arizona. Couldn't win the big one before. Couldn't win the big one when there's an FBI investigation. Book Richardson is a name that should never be said in Arizona. Jalen Brunson delivered. Michael Porter Jr. absurd. What do you got? (laughs) I love that we got to see two of these players play at a high level, Brunson and Bridges. I hate that, and I hate using the word hate. I hate that we didn't get to see and we were robbed of the opportunity of seeing like a whole season from Bonzi Colson and a whole season from Michael Porter Jr. Just so we could develop more of an opinion and it wouldn't be as jaded as, uh, you know, maybe it is. And then I think the last one, Chair, I, I agree with you on the karmic aspect. I mean, he, he even had he even had to sit out a couple games for further suspension this year. Due to the, like the follow up right. with uh, yeah, and thing, Gus, which is a, totally crazy too. It, it's a great point, man. And enough of this. I can't. You know, when the testing first came out about the you know performance enhancing, and people said I took something I didn't know. I'm gonna buy it, Alonzo. You've already been suspended for it. You had enough. 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 I don't know what you're doing. Have the chocolate milk, okay, and have the eggplant parm, and that's it. I'm done a lot. It's too much smoke. I'll always give anybody a pass. Everybody makes mistakes. He does it repeatedly. There's bad karma out there. I loved Arizona preseason. So did you, Gus. I'm telling you right now. Let's say Sean Miller stays. Everything works out. Whatever. It's fine. You got to show me. By the way, everything's not going to work out. Right? It's not going to work out. You got (laughs) to show me. I'm not buying Arizona anymore. They're soft. They've been soft. They can't get through it. I know the Arizona fans don't like about don't like hearing about Trier. They don't like the kid. I understand it now. Aiton was there. He's gone. I'm done with Arizona. I'm not buying them for a while. Yeah, well, I don't think you're going to have to buy them for a while. I think that if you're going to look at some preseason Pac-12 way too early rankings, I can see Arizona being in the second half of their rankings. Like, I, you know, usually they're in the top, whatever, top one, top two, top three. I wouldn't be surprised if they're like six or lower. Speaking of which, Gus, how disappointing was USC? We'll get to that uh, in a couple more podcasts. But seriously, one of the most disappointing seasons. I mean, God, I, you're going you're gonna to tell me that DeAnthony Melton made that big a difference? Come on. I think, I, think, I think we're dealing with some of the same things we talked about in the tournament. I think some of that karma and some of that, you know, that fog that's around the program. There, there is ancillary static that's going to influence results, and I think that's exactly what happened. And that's another example of how, how if you, if you're not, if your mind is not totally on what the goal is in front of you, and you have distractionary measures that are taking your focus away, I think we saw what happens when a student athlete, a 19-year-old, has a lot of things pulling at him. I, I think it was just an authentic view of what really happens in real life when uh, a 19-year-old is faced with that many things to give his attention to. Other receiving votes, because I don't do a second and third team. I did right. receiving votes. Joel Berry. Joel Berry was great all year yeah, long. Yeah, great all year. Grayson Allen, we always struggle with what to do with him. How mm-hmm. is he going to do? We both kind of just didn't know. Devontae Graham. Uh, listen, he had a great totally season. Can't say anything. Yeah. Ethan Happ should not have been on uh, any All-American list, and he it, it was just he's, he had a bad team. I mean, he's a very good player, and he couldn't do some stuff in the NBA. Let's see what happens. But it, he just it wasn't the right fit for an All-American to me. Uh, Angel Delgado, he got Kevin Willard. He's a phenomenal player. 
Jock Landell ended up delivering, I guess. Gus, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, don't think, I don't think it'd be crazy if, you know, if you were, you know, doing your All-American teams this year, if you put them on a second or third team. I think it makes total sense. Blue, it was very underrated. We talked about that. Marvin Bagley certain delivered. DeAndre Ayton delivered. Yante Mayton down in Georgia, probably a little worse than we thought it was going to be. And Landry Sham at Wichita State. Go figure, man. If you told me that Wichita State just wouldn't play defense this year, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah. I think I think Mayton was I, – I think he actually performed really well. Uh, I think he was the first-team all-conference player. Uh, so I was fine with where he was. I, I, I was pretty cool with his performance. Uh, he, I think he averaged pretty close to a double-double. And, yeah, I'm with you on Landry Shaman. I think after like uh, adding a little retrospect to this, I think we might say maybe slightly disappointing. Yeah, definitely. Slightly. No, it was. Slightly. I, I, Gus, if you told me that they'd be ranked over 100th as per Ken Palm defensive, I just wouldn't have believed it. Yeah. I, I would I, I would have been I would have said the poppycock is what I would have said. <laughs> right. It makes no uh, sense. Good, good, good and, and so the uh, the AP All-Americans really quick, Trey Young, Marvin Bagley, Aiton. First time that three freshmen ever made the first team. They're joined by Brunson and Devontae Graham. Any issues with those? No, I think the only place you could have went is where do you go with that fourth position. And I think I'm like I'm I'm, I'm admitting right now, 100% wrong on Graham. 100% wrong on Brunson. I think I had Brunson on like third team. I didn't put Graham anywhere. And both of those guys balled out all season. Kudos to their seasons. Kudos to their coaching staff. And kudos to their worth, work ethic and their fearlessness on the court. Both of those guys were studs all year, straight up studs. Yeah, you know, Graham really developed into quite a leader. I underestimated his ability to mm-hmm. lead this team, and he really did step up and do a tremendous job besides having some incredibly flammable games as well. And he played like 40 minutes every game. And that's the part that is maybe the most impressive. He never came off the floor. Yep. Uh, Kata Bates-Diop made second team. Big surprise there. Chris Holtman, fantastic job in his first year at Ohio State. Trayvon Blewett, I think we both nailed that. He did a great job. Jock Landell got on a second team. There you go. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Miles Bridges on the second team. You could have argued he was third. And Javon Carter with a fantastic year for West Virginia. I think any of those five players – if you interchange them with Devontae Graham on that first team, I think you could make a valid argument for any one of those five players, maybe except Jacques. And I think you could have been okay with it. So I'm fine with everybody on that team. I think everybody on that team is properly placed. Third team, love the first two. Keenan Evans, Carson Edwards, no problem with oh. either one of them. Both of them are winners. Both of them were the heart and soul of their teams and their success. I love them. McCall Bridges, I'm fine with. Villanova was the team this year. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I would have put him on because I feel like he. I feel if you could do McCall Spellman. That would be the perfect third team guy because it was Bridges early and it was Spellman in the second <laughs> right, half. Hilarious. So if you could do if oh, yeah. could do McCall Spellman, sure. I think it would okay. be great. Yeah. Yeah. Luke May in North Carolina, I don't like that pick at all. I think he disappeared down the stretch. I think he's living off the PK-80 performance. I would have put Joel Berry over Luke May and Virginia's Kyle Guy. I am not saying this because of what happened in Maryland-Baltimore County. It's just, Gus, mm. it's okay if a, if a hole is greater than the sum of the parts. It's just I don't want to put a guy on just because Virginia has to have a guy. No, 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 I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that at all. I think Kyle Guy has been a great player for Virginia, but I can't say that he's more valuable than Ty Jerome, and I certainly can't say he's more valuable than DeAndre Hunter. And I think this is where like your argument could take place and you can have some banter back and forth. You could argue that Joel Berry is more important than Luke May. I think you can argue that Hall is more important than Guy, even though Hall doesn't have the offensive stat. Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. Very good. That, that Very Guy good. has. And I think, yeah, so I think this is where you can like maybe move some of the puzzle pieces around and say like oh yeah I'm not I'm not I'm not okay with this but I am okay with this but 
I get that you have to put a UVA guy on there because they only lost two games all season. I understand that logic. And if you're just going to look at the box scores and look at like points and rebounds and shooting percentages, then guy's the guy to put on there. Uh, so I get that part. Um, but yeah, I think if you left Luke May off and you included somebody else on there, I think that's okay. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be heartbreaking, you know, especially as a UNC guy myself. Yeah, you know, and I laugh. You know, you look back at some of the conference teams. The only one I want to mention is this. If you look at the Big Ten, the All Big Ten team, you got Kade Bates Diop, who's Player of the Year. You got Miles Bridges. I already talked about him. You have. Carson Edwards, who certainly got first team and deserves it, mm-hmm. and Ethan Happ made it. And it's funny, Mo Wagner did not make it. That's crazy, huh? Funny because Mo Wagner at the end of this year certainly is a very third team All American player. Very, but that doesn't doesn't include the tournament. How about this? Can I can I just throw one name at you real fast? How about Holiday? Shouldn't he be on that team? All right, boy, I tell you, he's the next guy. Besides, I will tell you this: the two guys, Gus, that I think I, I nailed Vincenzo from the start, but I right. was dead wrong on on on, on Aaron Holiday. But I, I love Aaron Holiday. Yeah, you know, you I came think, you came right back around he, and you corrected yourself. Yeah. If Aaron Holiday isn't picked in the top twenty picks, it's an absolute sham. And if Dante Divincenzo comes out and not put not picked in the in the entire first round, I'll do a podcast naked. Okay, that's what I'm talking. I will sit here, easy, buck easy. naked. Good, good thing we're just a podcast. We're just a podcast. Good thing we're a podcast. <laughs> Partner, before we close up shop here, why don't you give us? You're the guy with the insight. You have the Yoda like ability. Why don't you give us a little rundown here of your top ten? It's not too early, Gus. Not too early for Gus Kearns's top ten. For next season, 2018-2019. Okay, I, you know, everybody has one of these out, so we figured why not just throw one of ours out as well. We'll just give you a top ten uh, later on. Uh, I'm going to say probably in a couple of weeks. I'll come at you with a you know a top 32, maybe a top 25, something of that nature, whether it be on podcast or whether it be uh, in print. But we'll just give you a little taste for the top ten. How about number ten? How about Kentucky brings back more guys than you think, and then adds like as Mike Randall likes to say, like you know a number of other stars. To the oh, recruiting don't get class. me started with these stars. P.J. Washington. Oh, my God. But, declaring. You know why he's declaring? Because Cal wants him the hell out of there because they underachieved. That's why. But how about some of those guys actually come back and they have some they, they, they have some stability. Instead of Cal having to reteach everything again, he'll have some of those guys actually help be coaches on the floor to the freshmen that are coming in. So I'm going to say let's put Kentucky at 10, but let's not get crazy with it, right? And the next one is very draft-dependent. And uh, it's one of our favorites, Nevada. 100%. Number nine, they have to be included in your top ten, if not a little bit higher. If you if they get everybody back, Gus, you got them too low. I'm telling you right now. I may put them number one next year. They get everybody back. I don't freaking care. It's not crazy. I'm telling you right now. I mean, they they were like literally a shot away from defeating Loyola Chicago, and maybe they're the team that's in the Final Four. And then maybe we're talking about them as like the greatest like Cinderella story of this of this tournament. So they if if Cody and Caleb decide to come back, they they've declared for the draft and will not sign with an agent. Same thing with Jordan Caroline. Those guys are their three studs. If those guys come back. Obviously, the core of their team is sound, and they have three difference makers in their lineup at all times. And then they're bringing in four or five other high-impact transfers along with bringing those guys back. So I think, and I, I think with all of that talent, and you sh- and must sh- Coach Musselman showed how he was able to meld all that talent and get them all to buy in. I think it's an easy, easy top ten pick. How about Tennessee? Tennessee's going to have Williams and Schofield back, and uh, they're going to have some talent in the backcourt. And they were strong all season. So you want to see what Coach Barnes do. So I'm going to put them at number eight. Number seven, how about Kansas State? 
How about they bring Dean back? They bring Baum back. They beat Snead back. How about they have all of those guys back? And if you go back and look at the um, you know conference uh, scoring leaders, um, Brown and Wade were in two of the top five top scorers in that conference, which is crazy if you think about it. So I'm going to put Kansas State at seven with everybody they have back returning, as long as you know uh, uh, Dean Wade is healthy. Number six, I'm going to throw in Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga at number six is kind of exactly where they should be, as long as Rui decides to come back. Uh, you've seen on a couple of mock, couple mock drafts where he's uh, in the top 10, uh, not in the top 10, I'm sorry, in the, t- in the first round. Some people have him even in the top 20. So as long as he and Tilly decide to come back, I think they're going to have enough. And that backcourt of, of Perkins and Norvell Jr., that could be one of the top backcourts in the whole entire nation. Uh, number five, I'm going to put the defending champs, Nova. I think you put I put them here just because of the uncertainty of who's going to come back and who's not going to come back. I'm saying, like, let's say Bridges, Brunson, and DiVincenzo, like, all declare, and maybe DiVincenzo comes back. Uh, so I'm going to put them in at number five. And they do have a couple of other uh, players coming in that are going to help in the backcourt. Number four, I think you have to put Duke somewhere in your top four simply because they have the one, two, and three rated freshmen coming in. I, you know, Gus, I, I went, to, we took the family to the diner this weekend, yep. and I'm sitting there and I was watching the national championship game down in Florida during breakfast. Okay. I, I'll tell you this RJ Barrett's good. He's nasty. Uh, okay. So I, I can, this is not going to be a Michael Porter. I watched him for about, you know, mm-hmm. two, three fourths of that game. R.J. Barrett's very good, and of course, Mr. Williamson seems to be athletic. And yeah, you throw, you throw, uh, yeah, throw Reddish in there, and reddish I think they, they'll, they'll be they'll be all set. Yes. And yes. how about this? If you figure Carter and Bagley are gone, right? But how about if uh, Delorier and they have uh, Bolden as bigs? That sounds okay. And you know what Duke might actually turn into? They might turn into like one of these positionless basketball teams because all three of those guys are like six six ish to six eight ish. So they might have to do a, a little bit of uh, positionless basketball on the fly, which I think Coach K might be into. How about number three? What if we give you Auburn at number three? How about that? How about that, Lee Busby? I got number. I got Auburn, the Tigers, number three. They're going to bring back uh, Purifoy. They're going to bring back Wiley. Uh, they'll bring back the core of the team that they had this year. As long as everything's in place and there's no like fog or distraction or uncertainty off the court, I really like their pieces that they have coming back. I'm going to put UVA at number two. This is with Hunter coming back and not going to the NBA. I like all their pieces back, and I think they might be actually playing with a chip on their shoulder in March. And then I'm going to put Kansas at number one. I'm going to assume that Malik Newman is going to come back. I'm not sure on that after his unbelievable 100-point performance in the tournament. They got Azabuki. They got Cunliffe. They have Diedrich Lawson. They have KJ Lawson. They have Charlie Moore. Uh, cool guard from California. They have freshman uh, Dotson coming in and, and Quentin Grimes coming in to help run in the backcourt too. So I think they're going to have a lot of talent. I want to see what Coach Self does with all of that talent, especially if Azubuki and Newman uh, come back and are anchors on that team and holdovers just like uh, Frank Mason was a holdover the year before, just like Devontae Graham was a holdover this year. I can totally see that evolution happening with Kansas. So I got Kansas at number one. Just to review, Kansas, UVA, Auburn, Duke, Nova, Gonzaga, Kansas State, Tennessee, Nevada, and Kentucky. There's your a little bit too early top ten. Superior top ten, Got Several thoughts here. Number one, I'm buying in right now. I'm calling the UVA 
strikes back year. Yeah. The uh, Tony Bennett is too good of a coach. All these kids are going to be ticked off. They win the ACC. They get no respect. They are going to be a pain in the ass. Please, DeAndre Hunter, come back because <laughs> I am all in. I am betting. Pa- I'm betting don't pass it. Everyone's betting pass at the craps table. Everyone's down on UVA. Down screen, back screen. They will be like water torture to every team next year. So I am. I totally agree with you on UVA. Can't wait to get back on that bandwagon. I may. I may have a shirt the first day there before the season opens up. I'm rooting for them so hard because I think he's getting way too criticized. Oh, this is the scarlet letter A on Tony Bennett's shirt. Baloney! They get to a Final Four. No one's even remembering this. And some 16 seed will beat a one seed in a dramatic way. Yep. Not the game being over 13 minutes left. And that will dwarf this. It's so ridiculous. I, I Everybody- agree. I think, I think that's going to fudge that picture. I'm, I'm with you. Oh, please. And, and and as for Duke, we'll see how they do. They got the big recruits there. The one I want to hear about is Romeo Romeo. Wherefore art thou Romeo? Right. Romeo where, Langford where is, is the real deal. I remembered him because I was covering him for BT Powerhouse. The kid is super quick. He can jump. He's an issue. And I think it's going to come down to Kansas or Indiana. Indiana, his home state. Love to see Archie Miller get him there. But if Bill Self gets him, here we go. Going for 15. Unbelievable. If they get him, then that then they're definitely – they should definitely be preseason number one as if Newman's back. I think that's – I mean, I also you also saw Vanderbilt with him. Um, so, yeah, I think where he goes is, is still one of the big chips that needs to fall as far as, uh, you know, the upcoming season. But Gus, one thing, I was just a little disappointed. I, no, no Michigan, Gus? You haven't learned your lesson here? John B. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're going to be further down. Don't worry. Uh, good job, partner. Very good top ten. Uh, that, that, yeah. that, uh, listeners, thank you for, for, for listening in. Thank you for letting us keep you company when you're on your, I don't know, downward spiral or like college basketball hangover. Uh, we're here for you. That's what the Screen to Screen of College Basketball podcast is here. We're here to get you through that tough part, and we'll keep you company during the off season too. Don't worry. We're not going anywhere. Uh, obviously, our frequency of podcasting will you know, take a dramatic turn just because there's not going to be as much content, but we will be there throughout the off season to keep you guys company and keep you guys up to date. Oh, that's for sure. We'll have draft stuff coming up. Gus and I will have interviews with all the people. Have some great stuff. We go year-round. We can't thank you enough, folks. There's been a tremendous amount of growth on our podcast this year. The website's up. We're going to have some new stuff next year. Great guests. Can't thank you enough for your support. You you motivate us. You get us to come down here in front of these microphones and talk. Talk about our favorite sport, the one we love so much. So thank you to all the listeners. And listeners, we just want to say... Hope that you enjoyed the championship game. Hope we did well in your bracket. Congratulations to Boogs in the Screen the Screener College Basketball uh, Yahoo Bracket Tournament Challenge. Well done. We'll get something out to you. And listeners, thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll catch up with you soon. Enjoy the downtime. Catch up on your NBA. Enjoy some, uh, you know, uh, first week of baseball. And then, uh, you know, Mike, how about some fantasy football? Does that sound okay? Oh, fantasy football is coming around the corner. I got my. I just put out my uh, fantasy football prospectus, Gus. 130 things I found out. 100 prospectus. I, w- I had to find a word. I found one there. Very excited. Yeah, I think I think you might need to like hashtag that or something, right? You know what? I'll hashtag as I put this out, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Okay. You're a Seahawk. You're a Seahawk fan, Gus, yeah. right? Yeah. Russell Wilson has been absolutely phenomenal. So let's get this straight. Coming into this year. If they can just improve their offensive line, he's been a top eight fantasy quarterback for God knows how long, and they're not going to have as good a defense this year. I mean, he could go bananas.
And he's do- and he's been doing it with no offensive line and, and no, no running game. game. Oh my God! Guys, Beat what? Doug Baldwin <laughs> in Russell. Down screen, back screen. All right, <laughs> listeners, cheers, Salatra, grazie, Lazia. arigato. Catch up with you guys soon. Tony Bennett Revenge Tour starts next year. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.